and welcome to the next panel here at the Converge to Excellence Summit, our fifth annual and a big theme, as you guys know, we're looking at driving telehealth and technology blueprint for a new digital health era. And this is a panel that uh, is very exciting because we have two professionals, esteemed entrepreneurs and doctors who can shed some light on this. Uh, to give you a preview of our conversation, we're going to try to go for 30 minutes. We'll see how, how we fit into that time frame. But I'm Yael Osaski, Deputy Director at the Consumer Choice Center. Uh, we do many campaigns uh, looking at healthcare, looking at uh, economic freedom and decision rights for patients. Uh, but I want to put the highlight right now on our two panelists. We have Mr. Omar Dawood. Uh, he's the president of Better Up Care. And we have Herr Dr. Florian Otto, Servus aus Österreich, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Cedar Health. Thank you, both of you gentlemen, for being here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let's just dive into it. Uh, the uh, theme that we have for our panel here is Optimize Patient Engagement and consumer experience, how digital health improves timely patient engagement, effectiveness, and experience. Now, I've, I've looked at uh, the background information on both of your companies. It seems as if you're both doing innovative things, albeit in different ways. Uh, so if we can start with Omar, let's, let's get a little bit of a sense of, as to what your company does and a little bit of background as to how that answers those questions about engagement and patients. Of course, happy to, um, and thank you for having us on. Uh, exciting topic. Um, so I am the president of Better Up Care here at Better Up, uh, and at Better Up, uh, we over the past uh, six, seven years have built um, one of the leading organizations uh, for coaching and transform transformative change, uh, where we have come in uh, and partnered with uh, almost four hundred different companies at large enterprise companies around the world, uh, and provided global support in which we've. Uh, provided a very personalized experience based on one-on-one -on -one group coaching uh, and other digital tools to support their entire uh, to support uh, a key individuals in their organizations uh, to really help them promote growth, uh, to support growth, to support uh, change, uh, and to support employees being their best. Uh, we what we saw is a commonality uh, in that journey and over a million uh, plus coaching sessions is that to be able to actually make progress down that path of growth a really key first step is to actually have someone work on their mental health, to actually build resilience and mental fitness. And so we spawned Better Up Care uh, almost a year ago, really focused on that is bringing an enterprise-wide uh, transformative platform uh, that is really a platform for personal professional growth that all starts with having individuals in their everyday building resilience and mental fitness. Uh, why does this matter? because the majority of employees in any company are really not sick, not ill, uh, but also not doing actually that well. Um, many employees are in this languishing state as, as it's been kind of termed in the past. Uh, they may have butterflies before a meeting. They may have difficulty prioritizing on a Monday morning with the many things we have on our plates or dealing with personal professional lives. Um, this is an ability to actually set everyone up for success, to start putting that individual and their priorities front and center and actually do that from a very personalized perspective. Um, and also kind of very, very different from the way the field has been viewing this concept, which is very reactive. It's not someone has a problem and react to them. It's proactively actually putting this in front of employees. And so we're staying well, well ahead of that. Very synonymous with what we've been doing in physical health for many years. And, and it's a, a concept now to bring to, uh, to the mental and behavioral health space. 
Perfect. I, I, yeah, that, that gives us a good idea of what to go off of. Uh, so Florian, let's get an idea. Talk to us about Cedar Health and uh, how you believe your company is also addressing these issues. Yeah, sure. Very, very happy to do that. So by, by means of background, for, uh, as you mentioned, from Germany um, originally, and then um, studied medicine and dentistry and was a maxillofacial surgeon for some time and started Cedar um, five and a half years ago. And um, started that because of a real personal experience that uh, where my wife had a really bad billing experience in New York. She landed in collections, although it was a great medical experience. So, so, so what was the fundamental problem? What what we have seen was that usually um, on the medical or clinical side, on the healthcare visit, there has been over the last I would say I mean fifty or hundred years so much progress. It was absolutely amazing. And when you compare right now, just look into the operating theater, look at all the diagnostic uh, technology, absolutely amazing on what happened there. You have personalized medicine where every patient gets a different treatment, right? And I really think that the healthcare providers have done an amazing stride forwards in getting better there. And that was always their advertising, right? We have the best doctors and the best um, equipment. When it comes to the administrative experience, um, it's everything but that is the fundamental problem. And um, we strongly believe that you need both. You need to have a good clinical experience, but that becomes table stick. In the US, usually you get a pretty good one. And the real differentiator is the digital and, and kind of hospitality experience. And what is there the fundamental problem? That the experience that the patients are expecting um, is driven by what they're experiencing everywhere outside of healthcare. There's this interesting saying that your, that your best experience anywhere becomes your expectation everywhere. And that is definitely the case. When you, for example, right now log onto Amazon, it's personalized, right, to you as an individual. Um, they make it very easy and transparent and immediate to check out there. And that's the same when you hail your Uber. They know already where you need to go before you actually type in anything. That makes total sense. On Netflix, personalizes the queue for what to watch next. And when it comes to the administrative experience, starting with the billing, which is usually the biggest problem, it's a one-size-fits-all approach. Same, same bill after 30, 60, 90 days, written in CPT, DRG, AM codes, and um, of course, not very immediate, not very personalized, not very convenient, or um, of course, mobile. So Cedar basically tried to address this problem of being the connection between the consumer and the healthcare system to make everything more patient-centric from the beginning to the end, starting with the post-visit billing experience and then going pre-visit um, as well. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, Doc, don't send me a bill. Send me a Bitcoin lightning invoice. You know, Maybe we'll see that in the future. <laughs> so I, I want to go through a couple of questions here. I think they both relate uh, to the sort of enterprises that you've built and perhaps your experience in the medical field. Uh, looking at sort of individual patients, what can we kind of do using institutions, using companies, using the infrastructure that we currently have, how can we better tailor some of the healthcare services to individual patients? And I ask that question knowing the US healthcare system, how much we rely on our employers for our healthcare, but what can really be done to tailor a lot of the needs of care? And that's you know in the beginning, in the end, in the middle, whatever it might be, to those individual patients. We can start with you, Omar, actually. It, it, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I'm going to take mental and behavioral health and, and kind of talk through an answer there based on that. Is It's a, it's fascinating. If we look at the last 40, 50 years, uh, 
the field has been continuously focused and investing uh, employers everywhere, all around the world, in solutions that support the vast minority in companies, uh, supporting individuals and designed for individuals that have labeled uh, the conditions such as depression, anxiety, stress disorders. When in reality, that's not actually where employees are on the, on the mental health spectrum. Uh, every single employee uh, uh, has a need for mental health support, but those solutions that have been out there, uh, such as EAP solutions, very, very little utilization, not surprisingly, and they're hard to access and they're heavily stigmatized. Where innovation come in, where we can come in with technology is on a couple fronts. One is increased access, right? And we saw a huge democratization of clinical care and clinical access over the past decade, which has been great. Two is actually put technology, put solutions in front of individuals, in front of patients that feel less stigmatized. You can do that by using content. You can do that by personalizing the session. Um, and, and then lastly here, uh, the ability for technology to actually uh, be well, even bring even more uh, quote unquote uh, enabling and, and enabling intelligence to the entire field. An example with that, for example, is you know we are delving into this uh, kind of part of the field that we're calling precision care, which is that we recognize that every individual that is going to be in front of us that we're supporting as we're building resilience and and working from a preventive uh, uh, lens with. Um, that they have different needs. Uh, I, I think as Floria just said, everyone is 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 an individual and there's there's no one size fits all there. And we completely agree with that. Technology allows you to personalize that experience. It allows you to, you know, combine both tech and humans together, give them additional context around individuals and then help them find what they need. We use guides, for example, where humans in our system, because we want that personalized uh, experience, but they are directed and have context based on a lot of our technology backbone. That's AI, that's ML that comes in, uh, that's building additional context and giving awareness of, of, of an individual's needs that you otherwise wouldn't have as, an as a clinician at all. And, and that's, I tell you, as a clinician, that's really illuminating because it really shines a spotlight on the gaps that you naturally have when you're actually interfacing with patients. For the patient, it feels like a very, very personalized experience. It feels like a human experience, one that's destigmatized. Um, it, it's complex for patients, employees uh, uh, these days. There's a whole plethora of things that are in front of them. And how do they navigate it? How do you know what's, what, what's right for you? And so having a guide to take you through that with a technology backbone that's enabling that individual, it just makes, makes the journey easier, less frustration, and you get what you need as a patient, as an individual. Now, Florida, and you're dealing with, uh, obviously, a lot of administrative aspects, which, as you mentioned, is something that individual patients, you know, that is the absolute worst part of dealing with healthcare. Uh, what do you think we can kind of do with some of these services to better tailor them uh, to patients and make sure they are engaged and they actually get what they need? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You're totally right. It's probably the, the worst part of healthcare. I think there, there has been a survey in the NPS, the Net Promoter Score of, uh, of the healthcare billing was lower than visiting the DMV. So that means a lot, I think. So qu the question right now, what can we do? There are a lot of things we can do. I think the very first misconception is that healthcare, either providers or payers, think that patients or members are different from consumers. They're exactly the same ones that shop on Amazon, watch Netflix, book their trip on Expedia. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, is 
technology helps. And yes, we all talk right now. And Omar, you talked that code completely agree with you on the personalization. The problem is that for most of the healthcare providers and payers, the current tech stack does not really allow them to do that. So let's, let, let's not completely crazily innovate in healthcare, but let's just look at other industries that have done this. So travel industry, for example, you had Sabre and Amadeus, which were really good companies in terms of database and infrastructure and having an aggregation of all of the data. And then you had in between the traveler, because the traveler, of course, cannot access this data systems. They're not consumer friendly. You had the travel agent, right? And the travel agent got disintermediated by these consumer facing companies like booking.com, like Kayak, like Expedia, and so on. And healthcare, the problem on the consumer engagement will not be solved by the EHRs, by the claims processing systems. Because in order to personalize, you need to iterate very fast with data science and with design science. So that's what we do basically at the heart at CEDAR. We are, we are running 20 to 30 A-B tests every single time. And with machine learning algorithms, we're shifting most of the traffic to the highest basically converting item. And how, what is the result that basically results in reduction of the friction? Because reducing the friction in every single tiny piece that the consumer is doing increases the time and the energy that the consumer can focus on getting healthy and not need to worry about all of those administrative burden and hassle. So reducing the friction is the number one thing. And when you look at basically every single consumer industry or, or great product, it is intuitive and it virtually takes the consumer or the patient by the hand and walks them through the process without any, uh, any obstacles there. And that is our guiding principle on how we, we develop our software and our product. Yeah, I like that part about uh, friction. You know, in economics, we would call it transaction costs. You know, the cost of having to deal with a new service and get signed up and figure out and do the research. Um, if I had kind of one question, it, I think it is both on the health side and more on the entrepreneur side. What are the kind of barriers that exist uh, to actually getting customers, consumers, patients to sign up for some of these innovative things? Is it uh, that the employers have such a large say in healthcare? Is it various regulations? Is it just that people are not yet ready to have this much technology present in their sort of healthcare relationships? Uh, what do you guys think on that? Either one of you can start. I mean, private and security is a huge is a huge uh, area of concern typically for, for patients, consumers, employees. Um, how is my data being protected? And I think at the top of the pyramid, that is really typically the first step is to ensuring that whatever framework you're creating, whatever technology stack or backbone we're offering, that it's really keeping individuals safe from that perspective. Before we can help people, we need to keep them safe, keep their data safe, and ensure that they feel confident in your service. So I think that's one really important thing. One way to build that confidence as well is building your brand, right? So when people see a brand that they trust, they're going to be more likely to engage. I think the second aspect is, and it's really a fascinating phenomenon, is if you look at any of the most challenging financial periods in, in, in the world, um, and individuals have a dollar, where are they going to spend it? Well, they're not going to spend it on healthcare, and definitely not on preventative healthcare. They'll spend it on literally anything else. Um, and that's a challenge we have to recognize, because oftentimes you're, you, you may have the best offering of trying to put it out there, and the direct-to-consumer route is actually quite tough. Now, it, it, is, a, it is definitely an area that has had great progress. But one way to kind of back into that as well and to get 
you're offering meaningfully in front of individuals to actually impact their health is to actually have someone else pay for it. And that's really where working with employers can be super critical um, because it allows that burden, financial burden to be taken off of the individual and allow them to focus on purely the value of what you're putting in front of them. To me, that opens up so many new avenues. And I think that's why we're seeing so much innovation as well uh, for what employers are putting in front of uh, in front of employees. Interesting. Yeah, I think. Okay. Uh, Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting question, and I might might maybe slightly push back kind of on the on the on on some of the assumptions because my feeling is actually that the consumer or the patient um, is adopting it much much easier and better than actually the provider or the payer or the employer. And usually the distribution problem and having basically the change management on the provider or the payer or the employer side is much, much worse than on the consumer side. Because for consumers, yes, of course, it needs to be intuitive and simple, the product, and they need to trust. So I agree with you, Omar, they need to be the brand or so. But in my opinion, I mean, trust is consistency over time. And if you have a consistent, good medical experience and you have a good um, uh, administrative experience, you, you gain trust. So how do we basically, let's say, um, get towards that and, and really, I think, can make the next step is the following. Um, there's one problem that a lot of these organizations, and I can say that because I'm a doctor myself, are literally run by clinicians. And by default, a clinician does not want to take risk does not want to make change. And it makes sense. On the medical side, taking risks is literally not the right thing to do. However, on the administrative or the, or the business side, not taking any risks is risky, right? Because you will be disrupted and you will not be, yeah, we'll, you'll be pushed out of existence. So in my opinion, the most important is that, 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 that the people running organizations um, are not afraid of taking risks of knowing, okay, in case something doesn't work out, you can always go back. This is not life and death with, of course, a few yeah, ground rules, like you need to be HIPAA compliant, you need to be TCPA compliant and so on. I love that part about taking risk. I mean, that's uh, uh, without mentioning an elephant in the room, we've been discussing risk uh, sort of publicly uh, the last year and a half or so. Uh, I, I wanted to ask sort of one question that's related to this because we're talking about those consumers and patients, and you say they're better adapting, uh, Florian. The question I would have is, what can patients kind, what can they do to be even better consumers of healthcare? Is it by doing this research, like you mentioned, all the things that we do on Amazon and Yelp is applying that to our healthcare? You say that it is happening, uh, but I wonder if there are things that us as patients and consumers can do a lot better, uh, perhaps if we're trying to get better healthcare services. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. I, I, I love you asking that. So my, I mean, my very first feeling is actually that, that the consumer should not accept a mediocre or inferior digital experience um, because they don't do it anywhere else outside of healthcare. Imagine right now if Amazon was doing their marketing, sending the same paper statement after 30, 60, 90 days. Do you think a restaurant would get any bill paid if you don't know how much the menu item cost? You get the bill 30 days later, and then you don't understand that in different items. And of course, it's three different bills, one from the kitchen, one from the service, and one for the food. So consumers accept that still in healthcare. 
and they would never expect it somewhere else. Right now comes a very, very interesting piece. And I think COVID is, is of course, as shocking it was for the entire society and as much as a humanitarian crisis that was. I think it has literally shifted the power more to the consumer because they can become more flexible, right? Where to, where to get care. And I encourage every consumer to really think it is the duty of the provider and the payer and the employer to provide a good digital experience. And if that is subpar, you probably lose trust in their ability to run the organization and you should reconsider of maybe changing it. And I think there's this interesting stat, we did a survey that there are um, uh, 28% of patients have chosen to switch the provider because of bad experience on the digital side. That is 40% more than it was pre-COVID. So people vote with their feet and I encourage every consumer to do the same. That is the only way on how we can make change. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think back to, you know, when I was practicing and I and seeing, you know, patients either in the clinic or, or you know, patients we've operated on and the best outcomes typically come uh, and the best satisfaction comes come came and comes from patients who participate in their own care. Um, technology can help them participate in their own care. But I think one of the challenges is, and you said it well, is I'll paraphrase a bit, is patients don't know what great is for healthcare. They simply don't know. And there is a level of benchmark they've accepted. What's fascinating about technology is we can both enable that, we can also hide that, right? And so we have to be very responsible in how we're putting technology out there. I think something as well the last decade or so as digital health has really taken off has shown is technology in itself is not enough. Uh, you can have the best chatbot, you can have the best digital interface, and it doesn't build empathy. Uh, and it's very, very difficult for a patient uh, to trust that system. And so instead of thinking of replacing the existing system or replacing clinicians with uh, technology, even, even if they're quote unquote, uh, that technology stack is making great decisions, actually enabling clinicians has definitely shown that it actually can build more trust uh, and build that relationship that's critical when you think about um, what's at the nidus of successful patient outcomes. And I wonder as well what uh, the sort of changes that have been made in, in recent years. And I wonder, you know, the, the social media fad is always simplify, right? Simplification, make it easy, make it so simple that it's only a few buttons and there are only a few things to subscribe to, a few things that you can get notifications on. Uh, do you think that simplifying the way that healthcare is delivered and the way that consumers can engage? Because I know uh, the more complicated that things become, you have to sign up for various portals and then you're tossed back and forth and you have to reset passwords. Uh, what do you think are the kind of the ways forward to simplify uh, that patient experience to make that a lot better? Well, it actually, to me, it's I'll take an analogy. It's very similar to what's happened in the driving experience over the last 150 years. We started off many, many years ago in the early 1900s with you literally needing to know how this thing works. You need to know how the engine works. You need to actually be a diagnostic mechanic yourself. Now it's a push button. It's sometimes not even that, right? It's verbal commands and who knows how the engine works behind, uh, behind all that interface. I, I think that's the important piece and you're touching on a, a keyword that really leads us in our product development, which is simplicity. Um, 
putting something complex and onerous in front of anyone, and this goes to consumers, patients, is challenging. Uh, and so part of the magic with technology is taking something that's oftentimes complex, uh, even for the clinician, a complex decision tree or triage matrix, and actually simplifying it. I think that that's really critical. That's part of the basis for engagement. That's part of the basis of the most engaging consumer apps that are out there and consumer experiences. Yeah, totally yeah, what agree. What do you guys with... think of, oh, go ahead, Florian. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Omar. That's the, the, the most complex technology is usually the easiest for the consumer. Um, I mean, go on google.com and see how difficult it is. It's literally just one bar where you can put something in, but it's pretty powerful, right? And I'm pretty sure I am not a Google employee, but there's a lot of things in the background that power this, but extremely easy for the consumer. And that's what we need as well. And we saw for most of the interactions, like on the billing piece, um, yeah, you mentioned lo uh, logging into portals. Nobody wants to download an app to pay the bill. Nobody wants to log in with username and password. Nobody wants to put the billing ID or something in there because you, of course, have forgotten it. But why cannot it be just a two-factor authentication, Apple Pay, done, right? And that is, of course, what the, what the technology should be. And consumers adopt it. So at Cedar, for example, our clients right now, 65% um, of all of the uh, bills are being paid on the mobile phone. So it's extremely high. And, and that's, I think, a number that clearly shows consumers want that. We've learned through uh, things like Uber and Airbnb, this kind of instantaneous ratings economy that's come up. Is that something that you're seeing as well through healthcare that we're, we're having more patients and consumers who are actively rating either your services or competing ones and, and whether that's useful or not? Because I think it's, a, it's an interesting trend, you know, the yelping of everything. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. I mean, it's useful for both external and internal. I, I think, you know, something that, um, so previous to this company, I was uh, led uh, the commercial efforts and clinical efforts at Calm. And previous to that, I built, uh, I was one of the leaders to build Ginger uh, from a very small number of employees to, uh, you know, a large telehealth company. And a theme way, way back early at the forefront, before we were even calling it digital health, um, was how do we ensure quality? And I don't necessarily mean just quality of care at the end of the day, but quality of the providers, right? Of our coaches, of our therapists, of our clinicians. And this now come all the way forward 10 years later to what we're doing here at, at BetterUp. And those ratings, I think they're really valuable for confidence for individuals that are actually looking from the outside who are consuming uh, the healthcare service, uh, patients, employees, uh, anyone. But it's actually also now extremely valuable for your own QA systems. Um, it's funny if we look, and I love looking outside of medicine, if we look at um, medical device, for example, or any other field where uh, quality assurance is a key, key function, actually a large function in these companies, uh, looking at technology and ensuring that it's operating the right way. Quality insurance never really made it to medicine, right? How often do you, do you list, do you line up the 10 surgeons at a top academic institution and continuously in real time actually review what they're doing? And I don't just mean case outcomes. I mean, bedside manner. I mean, satisfaction from patients, all these things. We have that opportunity now, right? With, the, with, with our digital experiences. And that's QAing conversations uh, and QAing uh, all actions through the whole system, every aspect of engagement. It's really fascinating. I know we use that, and that's part of what ensures our extremely high global coaching network. And it's critical 
Because you can imagine when you're running that fast and you're running across 60 languages and across the world in so many different countries, needing to know actually who your best providers are, needing to know who actually also needs additional support, and then vocally coaching uh, and working with your, your network so that everybody is at a certain competency is critical. And that's where I see those ratings now being applied even more uh, and being even more powerful. Yeah, I think there's um, what, what you're saying is right. And the, the problem in healthcare, there's complete asymmetry of information, right, between patient and the doctor. Because um, it's very easy when you go to the hairdresser, you know how long you waited, you know how the cut looks afterwards, and you know whether they did a good job. Um, very easy to rate. With a doctor, it really, it's much, much tougher. I don't want to say it's impossible. And I think there are a lot of ratings that make complete sense. And they are literally like black and white. Like, how long is the waiting time? I still think at a doctor, this is important because long waiting times disincentivize people from coming to the doctor for preventive visits and so on. When it comes to, for example, billing quality, what, what we are tracking, we of course have a rating system that is, in my opinion, absolutely important and critical. Clinical quality is slightly tougher, not impossible, but by the consumer, very tough to rate because you have an end size of one. <laughs> and an end size of one is very, very tough. Um, it's whether you are healthy or not, has no statistic value on that. So basically what I want to say is, um, I think the number one on this ratings, and we of course, um, uh, CEDAR always gives every single feedback that the patients are getting, um, giving that over to, uh, to, to the providers and also the administrative staff. It matters to them because everybody wants to improve. Nobody on the provider or payer side or employer side wants to treat their members poorly. They want to learn, they want to get better, and they need the tools. And I think feedback is absolutely fantastic on that. And of course, that is um, with, with ratings. But I think the feedback and the ratings need to be slightly different than Yelp, um, because uh, just a doctor, whether it's 3.5 stars or four stars, doesn't say much on what really, whether you want to go there or not, and for whom. All right. Well, I think both you guys deserve your five stars uh, for today's session. Uh, we did, did a did a good little back and forth, answered some questions. I think anyone in the audience, if you guys are more curious about both of the companies uh, represented here today, uh, check out their social media, check out their websites. Who knows? Maybe you'll sign up. Uh, but I have to thank you guys again, doctors Omar Dawood and Florian Otto. Thank you both very much. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you.